can't expect that everyone is as passionate about racing as we are. We can't expect that everyone is able to hear the silent call of the sea at 5am. Not everyone possesses the ability to smell the difference between rich and lean. Nor the ear to differentiate the bark of two cylinders from four. It would not be fair of us to assume that the world understands the yearning and overwhelming compulsion that we have to push through pain, angst, frustration and failure. Some people might not understand the desire to test physical limits, conquer fear or to tangle with the forces of gravity and physics. But we don't make product for them. We look to the future, but embrace our past. We study, we analyze. We race on Sunday, so we can innovate on Monday. We exercise trial and error religiously. Through our commitment to the pursuit of perfection, learn. How to make products for the people that are capable of dedicating everything to sport. Whether there is a championship involved or not. Alpine stars, one goal, one vision. That's where it all started. 
Big MX Radio, brought to you by Fly Racing USA, is on the air. Fueled by passion, focused on motocross. W Wheels USA, Moto Ice Wrap, Viral Goggle Brand, and Maxima USA make it possible to bring you the news, the interviews, and the point of views inside the sport of motocross. The gate's about to drop on Big MX Radio. Welcome to the Fly Racing Big MX Radio Podcast Show brought to you by Justified Cultures, Traction MXC Covers, and Moto Ice Wrap. I am your host, Brad Gebhardt. With us on the line, we've got none other than Blake Horton. Blake, how are you this beautiful Wednesday evening? Doing well. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for always making time for us. Uh, you're a repeat offender in the mar- month of April, my friend, and uh, we're we're, uh, we're 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 almost done that month. So uh, it's been uh, that means we've we've heard from you uh, a little bit more frequently lately, which I think is a good thing. You're an opinionated guy, and uh, it's an educated opinion, which uh, which is always uh, a good thing to listen to. So uh, uh, what's what's new and exciting in the world of Blake Ward? Well, what's new and exciting, I have recently, not not too long ago, got a chance to ride the Alta Motors machine out at Milestone for some motocross testing. So that was very, very interesting. Right on. So, uh, like, and also you've been uh, you've been very active with some riding schools, Sean Kalos, as well as a ride day for uh, for James Marshall, which took place as the same weekend as that. Uh, it was, that was the Easter weekend, correct? That was the weekend off. Right. That's right. Uh, so we, we all had a weekend off. You yourself still having a ride day, still twisting the throttle. Uh, safe to say that you're riding uh, close to as much, if not uh, maybe even a little bit more sometimes than you did as a pro. Oh uh, well, no, I wouldn't say quite <laughs> quite that much just yet, but definitely doing some some riding and logging the hours. Um, yeah, yeah no, we've had some good times. Um, the James Marshall um, ride day school we did down there. And Houston was was pretty great, and this is uh this this time it was a little different, but this is actually my fourth year helping James out. Uh, we had a, a little bit different of a program this this year, a little different structure, and we had some some guys helping us out, which was fantastic. But that was is always a good time, and um, you know we like to support our uh, fellow Texans. So um, now, that, like when you ride now, uh, what is the um, like when when you're when you're as a professional? Seems like every time your knobbies are in the dirt, it's with purpose. You're working on something. You're, sure. you're trying to find speed. You're you're perfecting a a, a, a weakness in your game. Uh, do you feel sometimes uh, when you're riding now, you're going out for a drive with nowhere else for, with nowhere to go? Um, yes and no. I think that regardless of, of the, of, of, you know, the circumstance, we, we even, even after we're not, you know, racing professionally, we'll still ride with purpose, or at least we, we try, or at least we'll go out there with a mindset that's similar to when we were racing professionally. Well, that's encouraging to hear because personally, like I'm, I'm always striving to, and I've never uh, even captured a first place position in a moto, let alone uh, uh, race at a professional level. But I'm always working on uh, things that I do poorly on a on a, on a motorcycle, and I think that honestly, 
also kind of keeps me a lot safer on the bike. Uh, if I'm if I'm working on something, that means my concentration's there, and uh, I, I, I honestly working on something that's probably going to keep me off the ground. Um, but uh, you yourself are uh, in in a bit of a period of kind of wick things back up a little bit. Do you ever like kind of uh, push the pace or or see if uh, if that that X factor is still there as far as uh, that extra special speed that uh, professionals are able to 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 basically uh, uh, grab hold of because as you know, um, per, 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 your average uh, weekend warrior, uh, even the best uh, best of the best in that category, uh, are only about maybe 99%. That extra 1% that uh, you as a professional are able to uh, kind of um, grab hold of, is, um, is that's, that's that, that elusive 1%. No, definitely. Um, always, I think we're always pushing the envelope, even if we're, just riding for fun or just going out to have a, a decent time or we're telling ourselves that anyways. And um, we're going to push it eventually. I think there's a lot that you can learn play riding and, and practicing um, drills perhaps. But ultimately riding with purpose is, is better. It is safer. And it's actually one thing I like to teach when teaching a rider how to jump is jumping with purpose as opposed to not. You know, you're jumping forward, you're moving forward. And I think the principle applies to to life as well. Absolutely, no, no. So, uh, you yourself have found yourself on a a lot of different machines over the last, uh, let's say, six months or so. Um, do you do you have like a a steady eddy as far as uh, a bike that you're you're kind of uh, working on, uh, becoming most comfortable with right now, or are you uh, kind of still gypsying around? No, I'd say gypsying uh, around a bit. I, I have had to ride the Kawasaki 450 um, a lot in, in recent in recent weeks, and I found that bike to be pretty great. You know, it was a stock one that I got to ride, but it, it had it had low hours, and so it was a it was a fun bike to get get to know a little more. Um, but all the bikes are so good right now. Um, it's pretty easy to just hop on one and go, and at least you know learn a little bit of something, a little, learn a little something about it. Um, but yeah, the the electric motorcycle, the Alta Motors bike is is definitely the most unique bike I've rode, um, and and probably well different right now yeah. of all the OEMs. Yeah. Uh, and let's uh, like I, I kind of had that last on my list of things to talk to you about, but since it's, it's kind of uh, top of mind awareness, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about that machine. Uh, what would you best uh, kind of uh, compare the power to? Um, and uh, what did what do you just like? How did you become more acquainted with the bike, feel comfortable on it, to uh, put down some serious laps? Because uh, if you watch that helmet cam, you were uh, you're coming up on dudes pretty quick. No, it, it's true. I think the bike has some unique characteristics. Uh, it sort of feels like a two-stroke at times with how it rolls, but then sometimes it feels like a four-stroke with how the power hits, depending on um, you know what map you have. Um, definitely like to put some laps down on it, you know, and um, see what it's made of. And you know, it's silent, so it sort of presents a whole other problem when you're coming up on potential lappers you know it's good at times i think because they they can't hear you coming and so they won't panic but at the same time you know you both can dive for a line as you saw in the video and and end up colliding 
Yeah, no, that, that's uh, uh, all the times that I've had a guy like yourself uh, coming up behind me in California. I'm well too aware of it as uh, in 2010, both Tyler Ratcher and Dean Wilson blew my doors off on the uh, the, the vaunted uh, Talladega turn in uh, at, at Glen Helen. But uh, if you yourself would have been doing that serious same thing about a week ago, uh, uh, you would have been uh, quiet as a church mouse uh, coming around that corner. So uh, it's, uh, it, it's pretty cool and uh, amazing to see see you uh, kind of throw that thing around um what does it feel like in the air uh i kind of in my mind i think of it more as uh the feeling of a really heavy mountain bike than it does uh, a motocross bike yeah i'd say that's a pretty good way of looking at it um it definitely has a different feel in the air but it's still it's still a motocross bike at the end of the day um definitely handles a little different there but it ultimately is like anything else you know you put the time on it you get used to it and then you know you're just riding it like any like it's like it's you like you're used to it you know normal um but you know the bike definitely has some unique characteristics it's um there's no clutch and there's no shifting and so that is probably the biggest field and obviously the most the most uh i guess the most obvious thing would be the no sound you know and people like to associate you know, riding with sound, I think a lot because the sound is so relevant. We like the sound for one, a two stroke or a four stroke. And then it does signal you when to shift. It sort of, it can, you can, you can learn a lot by listening. But at the same time, I do believe that most professionals at this, that have a lot of experience under the belt, under their belt will, will go more off of feel. Yeah, totally. I I absolutely agree. Uh, One of the things that kind of came across my mind as I was uh, kind of thinking of the bike more as uh, like it's it's totally a a motocross bike, but from a control standpoint, um, I I guess it would be difficult to 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 kind of rig it up. But would it make sense for uh, the rear brake to be uh, articulated with a a hand lever rather than the foot foot pedal? Um, yeah, that was something that we we actually talked about, and I know a lot of the BMX guys would would prefer that. Um, definitely be something different for moto guys, uh, and something they'd have to get used to. But to have that option would be would be pretty great, and I think it would actually open up um, several different techniques that we could potentially start to touch on. Right, because all of a sudden, uh, right hand turns are a whole lot safer. There, Right, right hand turns, they're just going to behave differently. It would probably give you a more balanced, uh, a balanced ratio of turning, like left and right wouldn't be so different now. And, and so that would definitely be something that would be worth um, experimenting on, I'd say. I think so too. I think that that is some, as far as the Alta is concerned, I think that I know that there's guys that have had, uh, uh, success with that. Even when, uh, if, if they, they have a, a foot injury or something like that, they've been able to rig something up like that. So, uh, yeah. Uh, and, and that, that's cool to hear that you've uh, you've spent some time on that machine machine uh, and acquainted yourself. Um, do you see it racing uh, in in competitive races in the AMA uh, in the next three years? Uh, I do. Um, you know, ultimately, I think that that's the quickest way for them to progress and get where they need to be. You know, practicing and testing is one thing, but you really don't know where you're at until you log those laps at the races with the best bikes and with the best riders and so i think it's something that they're going to need to do 
I think so too. And just seeing Josh Josh Hill do what he did with it in the uh, that's the the straight rhythm race, and then uh, like I would like to see just just allow them to to see what the comparison looks like. I like I feel like um, like if we don't know what it looks like, if we don't know uh, if like. Uh, all, all too often, like we watch all these motocross videos, but more often than not, 99% of the footage is done with its music. It's not the sound of motocross bikes. So, like sure. the uh, that pleasure of hearing that sound, like maybe that's like maybe being able to hear the announcer would be uh, even that much better. You, you you'd pick up different uh, battles on the track. Like there's, there's uh, with, with one thing going away that opens another uh, side of things, which, and also uh, you have a lot less uh, young kids with earmuffs and ha- having to deal with stuff like that. So I think that there's um, uh, like, although who doesn't love the sound of a, uh, a, a two stroke ripping through uh, a set of sand whoops or something like that. Well, uh, other than motocross people, uh, um, there's actually a very, very, a lot of people who don't like that sound. So, and that's why we've been chased away, away from riding spots that we love so much. So, uh, I think, uh, the Alta opens more doors than it closes. Yeah, it definitely has its advantages. I'll, I'll say that. And I would love to see the bike become homologated sooner than later because I think it's a, it's a great technology. And I think this sport could use you know, this sort of technology and the outside thinker coming in and just expanding the horizons a bit. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, so like that being said, uh, have you kind of, uh, worked like working closely with these guys? Do you see, foresee yourself, uh, doing more work with the machine, helping develop it? And is that something you'd like to pursue? Yeah, it's definitely something I'd like to pursue. I've been in talks with those guys and we have some plans to do some, some other one-off events. Obviously they've, they've had some success on that end and they're wanting to expand upon that front, but, um, you know, to be able to be able to be a part of that and and help develop that technology, they've already come so far. But you know, we I would love to. For sure. Now let, let's talk mm-hmm. Supercross a little bit here, man. Uh, we had a pretty awesome race this last weekend. We saw Eli Tomac going through the first corner in twentieth uh, of twenty-two riders, and then um, he did his very best to try and break the throttle cable on his uh, on his on his KX. 454 stroke. Uh, he he wasn't successful in that, but in, do, in in his efforts to do so, he ended up at the front of the pack. So uh, tell me a little bit of what you saw this last weekend. Yeah, it was definitely um, some some fascinating racing. We I, I think we saw a more refreshed Ryan Dungey, and I think he showed that in his heat race. Even though it was a close race, he he had a little more spunk. It looked like, and so the break did him some good. But ultimately, Eli still has that speed and still looks to be, you know, heads above the rest at this point. Obviously, he had a pretty bad start, you know, in the first turn. But you know, it, he didn't really look to be panicked because, yeah, these twenty minute, these 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 twenty uh, minute motos, he's got plenty of time. And when he's running those sort of lap times and you know coming from way way far back and winning by six seven seconds, I'd say that's pretty significant. Um, ultimately I, I, I keep thinking that maybe we'll, we'll have a round where some mistakes are made and, and perhaps the title is, is, you know, uh, is clenched by one of these guys, but it looks like it's going to come down to Vegas. They've been really, really consistent. And, uh, now Eli has a points lead, of course. So that's, that's a big change, but ultimately I still think it's going to come down to Vegas and who can make the least amount of mistakes from here on out. 
As it always does. It seems like uh, this year uh, where we've been totally treated to a super points, uh, close points battle close to the end of things. Uh, but uh, Eli Tomac is uh, is working on uh, points and momentum at this point. Uh, I think that um, it's it, like you're totally correct. It comes down to mistakes. And that's why we race these races. It's, it's to see uh, if you can have that battle of attrition through all 17 rounds. We've seen uh, swings in points. Um, in, in one single race or over a couple of different races. And, uh, those, those were big swings. So, uh, it, it's like time will tell uh, which, if you were to pick one or the other to favor either one of the riders, which, which track, uh, or which event, uh, favors, uh, Ryan Dungey better, uh, versus, uh, Eli Tomek. Of the last, uh, two supercrosses, you mean? Yes, sir. Well, that's a that's a good question. I've kind of thought about that myself. One is a, obviously an East Coast round, and one is obviously a West Coast round. They're very far apart. Um, one is super hard packed, though we did see a, uh, a muddy Vegas here a few years ago. And then, you know, New Jersey is very moist and rutted. Um, and I would say probably the East, the East Coast round would, would suit Dungy, uh, I think the dirt is softer from where he's from, and then Eli's from Colorado, so it's a little closer to Vegas. A lot closer to Vegas, but a little closer to that soil. And so those that's what I would say. I think I think you're uh, as always an educated uh, opinion from uh, from a guy who would know. Um, when you watch these races, when you watch the jump combinations and uh, and how the guys are attacking the track, um, you're always a guy who was very cerebral in your approach to the sport. Do you notice anybody uh, who would benefit from being maybe being more careful, or I wouldn't say careful, more uh, cognitive of his process than uh, they currently are? Maybe if you were uh, kind of to, to jump in their skin for for one particular day, maybe they'd uh, see, like kind of see things. Maybe just that little bit. Sure. Well, we we saw some crashes this weekend. Uh, I think more so in the lights class with in the whoop section with Plessinger and Forkner. And so we've definitely seen some, this this last weekend had some some moments, some sketchy moments. But ultimately, I really can't say that. I mean, a lot of the riding style of a racer has to do with his personality. And that's something that you really, you really can't change. Uh, I think the only way that that changes is it comes with time and maturity and age. Uh, I think we all could be a little smoother at times. And I, you know, sometimes I think we could hang it out a little more too. Yeah, no. I, uh, but, yeah. but, you, but you know what? To, to, to explain a little more on that, I think that's one of the, the beautiful things about, uh, supercross and motocross is you can have a guy who looks reckless and he's riding wide open and he's a little rag and he wins a race and you have got a guy that's smooth and finesse and cognitive of what he's doing and he wins the race. It's, it's very, very diverse and you can have uh, many different techniques in this one sport and uh, it makes for <laughs> just exciting racing and, and more, more variables, I'd say. Oh, absolutely. There's, uh, a ton of different guys that I over time have, uh, have been doing their style and looked at another guy beating them and be like, how is he doing that? Because like, say a, a guy like, uh, uh, JMB, um, it, it's just like the guy was effortless. He made everything just, just kind of like just flow. And there was nights that he couldn't make that happen against guys like Jeff Stanton or uh, a bulldog like uh, um, Rick Johnson, the guy like he like I can only imagine uh, mm-hmm. JMB looking at him. Those guys like 
how are they not crashing all the time? And at the same time, sure. there's times when JMB would would wax both those guys, and they those guys would be killing themselves to try and drop their lap times, and they're looking at this Frenchman over here barely uh, breaking a sweat and eating croissants between laps. To uh, he's five seconds ahead. No, we will definitely see that, and a lot of it, I think, depends on strategy and. And it, it's it's a mental game too. At the end of the day, and so a lot of these guys are good at that. Sometimes, you know, we've seen Purcell was very smooth, very very um, articulate racer, and, and I think sometimes that can get into the get into the heads of, of some riders. And um, it's like a it's like a chess game out there. You know, each move, each each lap, each each ride is sort of a different strategy, and, and ultimately whoever wins the championship is a guy who sort of uh came out on top but yeah it's that's that's one of the the more interesting things about this sport and i'd say more so than any other sport if you look at supermoto and if you look at road racing you have a lot less um you have a lot less variable uh i guess in in style or technique like a lot of the guys sort of look the same um, and then you go to motocross and you got one guy winning who's six, six, three, and you got another guy who's winning is five, six and their style is totally different. And at the end of the day, those two guys really can't ride exactly the same. They can have similarities. Like you hold the throttle wide open if you want to go fast or you, you, you power off the face of a jump or you power on the landing of a jump. There's certain things all of us do that are very similar. And then there's some vari- variability where it's just, you couldn't be further apart. Uh, you're you're totally on par on on beat when uh, in your then and your analysis on that it seems like there's more than one way to to skin a cat when it comes to motocross and uh, yeah it, it just uh, it, what it comes down to is executing your style and staying true to it because we've seen in the past when other guys try to do another guy's way uh, it goes poorly like uh, when the in the times where uh, like uh, David Villeman would try and wick up his speed and, and ride out of control like Ricky Carmichael, he'd end up on the ground. And then when uh, Ricky Carmichael would try and smooth things out and uh, and not be so aggressive, he wouldn't win races, which is, didn't happen sure. very often. But like the, to be smooth was not his thing. And uh, so uh, in a lot of ways, uh, uh, it's tough to not be yourself on a motorcycle. Yeah, it's, uh, it is tough. And uh, ultimately, I think riders progress of their career to the end there's a lot of changes that will be made and most of the time they become that's one thing i do think we see regardless of the rider regardless of how he comes in he will he will most likely smoothen out with age and experience I think you're correct. Uh, speaking of age and experience, uh, late in the 450 moto, we watched uh, youth and exuberance and a pin throttle meet with uh, age and experience and uh, a, a few number one uh, plates. And um, I, I think I'm not alone as a, as an analyst as well as a fan to th- uh, to to, uh, to have hoped for a little bit more fight back from uh, the number one machine of, of Ryan Dungey. What did you see in the kind of the exchange of uh, of when the lead changed hands? On uh, with about five minutes to go in the 450 classes last weekend in uh, in Salt Lake. Well, I think we saw the same thing when Eli passed everybody else. You know, we wanted to see more of a battle, but but what happened to Dungey was the same as is what happened to everyone else. You know, Eli passed him with such ferocity and with so much momentum, and also where he passed, he passed 
a lot of the time was uh, on the on the way uh, after the whoops, like right in that left turn. Uh, and he really didn't give guys a chance to rebuttal or strike back. You know, when you pass a guy right before a rhythm lane, sort of cut off his line, well, he misses the whole rhythm lane. And Eli had five bike links on everyone by the time he got to the next turn. And so how he did it was very impressive. And I think that there was certainly a strategy there. He found his spot. He, he took it. And he passed these guys so quick, they really didn't see they, – they had no time to even react. Hey, this is Zach Cummins from Phoenix Racing Co. You're listening to the Big MX Radio Show. We're going to commercial. We'll be right back. Justified Cultures is the kind of apparel from the moment you put it on makes you feel like it was made just for you. Quality, comfortable apparel designed for and inspired by the live what you love lifestyle. Woven throughout the moto, desert, skate, and surf culture of Justified is the desire to celebrate human achievement, to inspire and create a modern lifestyle brand reflecting today's generation. Zach Commons, Matty Jesse, Phoenix Racing Co., Dominique Daffay, Cody Matichuk, and John Short are just a few athletes who don Justified Culture's clothing. Passion needed a clothing line to speak to the way that it lived each day, so we created Justified Cultures. Navigate justifiedcultures.com to easily view over 40 individual styles to help you make a statement every time you step outside. As presenting sponsor to Big MX Radio, lock in promo code BIGMX17 when checking out at justifiedcultures.com to receive 30% off your Justified Cultures clothing. Express your lifestyle with Justified Cultures. Live what you love. What's wrong, Jeff? I don't know, Jay. Well, you better fuel up with a nutritious breakfast with oats and bran. Oats and bran? I didn't think there was such a thing. That's what I used to think. Now, I start out every morning with a bowl of Indigos. For extreme kids like us. That's what I call fueling for the big ride. Hey, kids, start out every morning with a fat bowl. Hey, this is Alex Ray. I don't know why you're listening to Brad's podcast, but I'll be back on soon. Hey, this is Zach Cummins. All you hosers, quit listening to Nickelback and jump on over to the Big MX Radio Show. Hey, guys, this is Kate Clayson, and not only do I blow uh, Alex Ray's doors off in the track, but I do it at K1 speed, too. Hey, everyone. Let's take a break and listen to some commercials quickly. Then we'll be right back to the podcast. Thanks for listening. WUSA is your one-stop shop for quality wheel sets in America. All of the best components built for the toughest conditions. Hit up WUSA.com. That's D-U-B-Y-A-U-S-A.com right now. And check out the custom wheel builder selection. Pick your rims. Pick your hubs. Pick your spokes. Even pick your nipples and see what it's going to look like on your bike. On the website, you'll drool over components like XL and DID rims, Talon and Kite aluminum hubs, Galfer and Brembo brakes, and spokes that take a licking and keep on ticking. The same wheels that you buy are built by the same guys we're building wheels for. Ryan Dungey, Jeremy Martin, Chad Reed, and the entire Geico Honda team. And I kid you not, they are not told whose wheels are whose, they just build amazing product. And I want you guys in a set of W wheels. So do what I did. 
and head to WBYAUSA.com today. WUSA, all things wheels. Hey, Big MX fans. Thanks for listening to this podcast and hope you're enjoying it. I want you guys to head on over to TractionMX.com. TractionMX is the place to get your seat covers for any bike that you have, whether it be a Husqvarna, Kawasaki, Suzuki, Yamaha, KTM, you name it. These guys have a great seat cover for you. They're durable, they're flashy, they're eye-catching, and they're one of a kind. The reason why they're one of a kind is because you design your own. You pick the fabrics, you pick the ribs, you pick the everything all the way down to the stitching uh, color that they use on the seat cover itself. Traction MX is your one-stop shop to set your bike apart from the herd 110%. These seat covers start at just $69.95 American, and uh, the average turnaround is a one to two weeks. One to two weeks from now, you could have a bike that's looking completely different than it does right now. So head on over to TractionMX.com, start shopping, start designing, and make something special like for you today. Going viral with Viral Brand. Viral Brand is setting its sights on being one of the leading brands in the extreme sports market, from supercross to snowcross and snowboarding, and everything in between. Viral Brand is working hard to not only bring you premium products, quality eyewear, and killer style, but award-winning support with every sport. Head on over to theviralbrand.com and get tinted lenses, clear lenses, 10-pack of tear-offs, and goggle bag for only $59.99. Viral Brand products are available in the U.S., Canada, and Australia, and used exclusively by the Barn Pros Racing MX Home Depot Yamaha team for the 2017 season. Go viral with the viral brand. Hey guys, Bill's Pipes is back, and that means the return of legendary performance. Two strokes, check. Four strokes, check. Since 1974, they've been tuning power at its finest for motocross racers, off-road racers, you name it. For you two-stroke lovers, the MX2 Bill's Pipe exhaust system is flat out the right choice to make. Nickel, works, and the brand new cone look is the right system for the job. When it comes to four-strokes, Bill's Pipes brings the RE13 to decimate the field anywhere, anytime. So if you want the same pipe used by Billy Leninovich, Sean Collier, Vicky Golden, and the entire Barn Pros Home Depot Yamaha team, head over to Bill'sPipes.com today. And never settle. Yeah, no, like, I, I don't know how he was, uh, like, I, I know, well, I saw how he was doing it, but, like, how no one else could figure it out is beyond me. And the fact that uh, in a segment that uh, the longest anyone took to get through it was eight seconds, uh, Eli was getting through there in, in just over four seconds. Uh, so it was uh, literally half as long. Uh, for Eli Tone wow. to get through that section, the guy's an absolute. Uh, he's he's coming in like a freight train. That's uh, um, that kind of uns- that, that's unthinkable. That's like that's Blake Wharton coming up on Brad Gebhardt type of closure. Like it's uh, you, you'd be you, you'd be uh, uh, a couple turns behind and past me with all, in that same lap, man. Uh, so uh, and and that's at, he was doing that at the pro level. Like this is these are the best of the best. 
Yeah, he, he was certainly making it look easy. We've seen that in the past from him in the outdoors. You broke up. You still there? You there? Yeah. Oh, you, yeah. I lost you at outdoor. Uh, we've seen that in the past from him in the outdoors, and uh, we've seen it in Supercross and the lights class. But I think now he's he's definitely taking it to another level and has that Kawasaki figured out. I think I think you're right. And I, like uh, I, I I offer this this kind of uh, uh, thought press process to you, and like the fact is is that like for me uh, when I watch. Eli Tomac, or when I kind of watch the progression of athletes, um, and like this is this kind of goes back through throughout Ryan Dungey's career, and I don't mean any disrespect to Ryan Dungey when I when I say it, but he wasn't a blue chipper like maybe say a guy like Trey Kennard was, or a guy like yourself was coming out of amateurs. He didn't have that that dominance over his competitors, and then that that a lot of uh, these. Uh, like guys that have the same championships that Ryan Dungey has as an amateur and uh, that pedigree, sure. so to speak. Um, Eli Tomac was on people's walls on 80s, 65s. Um, and I think this is just like basically the, the ascent to greatness and eventually just arriving uh, to what kind of like what was already kind of like this was the, the roadmap and he's finally just arrived. Whereas throughout Ryan Dungey's career, when faced with a championship where he's, he's racing against one of these former blue chip uh, amateur riders, uh, like who have eventually now become blue chip uh, professional riders, he's faltered. He hasn't been able to hold hold off those uh, uh, those those ra- those razors just like he couldn't as an amateur. Well, yeah, and uh, that's you see a lot of different different approaches or or different uh, amateur careers. Um, you know, Villapoto didn't have Villapoto. Everyone knew he was fast and he was very very good, but he didn't win as much because you know. Well, Michael Leslie Mike. won, <laughs> yeah. and right. It's, uh, it's and, more and, of a but, timing but, thing. Well, but I, but I think everyone knew that he had the potential to be that. Um, he just wasn't that yet, and and Dungey didn't have the amateur career that that a lot of these guys have had, you know. But ultimately, it's in, it's in the pros that what matters. That's what matters most. And a lot of the greatest amateur guys, they don't even make it pro. They don't even make it, you know, to the first or second or third year pro. I mean, I know a lot yeah. of the best guys, they're not racing anymore. Um, and it's, it's, uh, you gotta be there at the end. You know, you've gotta be there from 20 to 30 ultimately if you wanna make a job out of it, if you wanna get the most out of it. And so sometimes, you know, having a, an average or dismal amateur racing career is not a bad thing if you turn it on right around 15, 16. And when you go pro, you're you're ready to go, and you're hungry, and you're aggressive. And I think that was Dungey. Um, that was certainly Dungey. Fair enough. Well, I I, I think obviously uh, he's made uh, made some huge strides uh, since the since his amateur days, and has had some dominant uh, seasons. Um, but uh, the thing that always sticks out for me with Ryan Dungey's championships is that there's there was always a huge piece missing as far as a competition was concerned, uh, whether it be Ryan Villapoto or uh, like if like the the year that he won on the two fifties, Ryan had just moved out, and like the that next rider wasn't quite there to take a championship away and he just about lost the outdoor title to, to Christoph Purcell that same year so um, sure. it's it's just like um, it, 
it's just one of the things that I, I kind of notice is that when, when these, these kind of like, uh, uh, these guys that we've built up for, for a long period of time end up coming up and, and really, really challenging, uh, Ryan, he's not always sure. completely 100% up to the task to, to just like match speed for speed, um, like, Mental toughness for mental toughness. He like it doesn't seem to add up all the time. But uh, all all like all that all that being said, the guy's a multi 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 millionaire and has more race wins uh, than I have podcasts. So uh, yeah. um, so uh, the, the, let's let's give him some slack here. But uh, um, do you think that uh, like the that Ryan Dungey has the ability to uh, get the snarl back for the last two uh, two races here and uh, kind of grab grass and growl, so to speak, and just uh, and, and just kind of put it to him? Or is he hoping for uh, something to go his way? Well, I think he's going to have to if he wants a shot at this championship. And, um, you know, there's no more options on the table like Roger. And uh, they, they were talking about what Roger had said, you know. There's no more strategy. It's just win and win the championship or, or don't. And so he's going to have to get aggressive. If your speed's down, you sort of have to make, compared to Eli, or you sort of make it up in some other, some other place. And so I think he has the ability. You know, he's he's seen it and he's done it himself. And he's raced guys, he's raced great guys in the past. And so this is really nothing. This is nothing new. Uh, it's just a matter of if he's going to do it. You know, he's had a long career. He's had a successful career. And and to do that, it's going to take some grit and perhaps some banging. And so is he ready for that? I can't say. Um, only he knows that. Fair enough. Well, uh, if if uh, if I was a betting man, I would say that uh, safer money right now is with uh, with Tomac continuing to be dominant, and I think that he wins the championship yeah. by nine points. Uh, and I, I that that was that that's, that's my analysis. I, I honestly think that's going to be the case. Um, let's switch our, our focus to the two fifties. We talked about four fifties first because they're more important, and they're uh, that's the premier class, and uh, um, we shouldn't be keeping talent in that two fifty class for a long time and keeping it out of the 250s. Or maybe we should. Let's talk about keeping more talent in the 250 class uh, in, the, in sure. the, the form of this new rule change where uh, now you can get uh, 100, you can go 135 points or more for four years now before having to move up to the 450 class. And regardless of how many years you've spent in the in the, in the 250 class, uh, you can now defend your title if you win one, which means uh, for the 45th year in a row, Martin Davlos will be suiting up in the 250 class east or west next year. Yeah, I think it's good. Um, good for, for some guys in the lights class and, and then well, it's it's good for the lights class riders. I will say that. I mean, there's always a concern for the top five guys in the lights class in years past. That are you going to point out this year? How many more years do you have? Are you ready to go to the 450? If you get that championship win and and they and they move you up, are you ready? Because a lot of the guys won those lights those lights class titles, um, and 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 they were they were great at that time, but maybe not quite ready for the 450. Maybe they needed another year to defend that title. I think that would suit most guys uh, better to have a second year if you win that championship to to go out and prove prove yourself again and to get more experience at that upper level. Um, then I know some people disagree with it and they think that you know it hurts the 450 class. Now, uh, I'm always a, uh, a proponent of being able to 
defend your title. I feel like if you if you win a title, you should be able to defend it. Um, that's just that uh, that's just how I feel about that. I like if, from from on a title standpoint. Um, but as far as the the points go for four years, like like why four years? Why is there a a, a magic number of years? For like, is that how many years we're expecting for a guy to, uh, like, after four years of professional racing, he should be ready for a 450? Uh, is that like assuming that he didn't get enough points in his first year, uh, so it's actually five full years on a on a on a 250 before 450s? Like, I, the, things aren't being really. That's a good question. Like, yeah. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, are, what what are the assumptions? What are why why is it four years? Like, it, what what's this magical four years all about? Like, okay, you've you've understood it for. Four four years or like uh, you like you obviously things are clicking for you for four years let's get you up into that 450 class and 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 pack that thing full of talent and um i just uh i don't know if 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 a hugely like unbelievably packed 450 class really produces that much more of a spectacle like having a a ton of great riders between 12th and 17th place doesn't necessarily make me want to race it, watch racing anymore because That's right. frankly if i'm watching if i'm watching it on television or even live at a race i'm not noticing so it's kind of a sure. waste yeah you would think that having a stacked top 5 in both classes might be the goal which everyone you know would love to see that you know when there's racing happening from first to fifth, and anyone can win. And we've seen that in the lights class, and we've seen that in the 450 class over the years. And all the time. You're breaking up. You're breaking up. You there? Yep. All right. Um, yeah, I think I think people would rather see a, a stacked top five rather than a, a stacked 10th to 20th. Yeah, but, no. Um, yeah, it just seems yeah. like... Um, like I, for me, I, I, it just doesn't make sense to have like, or like it's, it's to have guys battling it out who are past champions, um, for, for 12th and and 13th place. It just like that. It just, there's no, like, I don't know, like there's obviously there's marketing dollars to to be had there, but, um, like I, there's just not a whole lot of eyeballs on it. Like unless you're sure. diligent enough to watch it after the fact, or or are much of a nerd to check these things out, um, most people won't know who placed where, other than the top five. Because after, as as they come across the line, the TV shows the celebration from the winner for about thirty seconds, which is the end of the race for everybody else. Yeah, no, it's true. It is. It is a bit. A bit hard. I guess the only way you can guarantee giving, you know, getting TV time or is to be in the top three, right? You, you just don't know outside of that being the top three, being the top five, and let the cards fall, fall where they where they will. Yeah, like I ask you this right now: Do you know who, like, just off the top of your head, who's in eighth place in the points for the 450 class? Uh, no, I don't. I could, I could guess, but it probably would be wrong. Who is in eighth place currently? Is Brock Tickle. Brock Tickle is currently in eighth place, um, and uh, he's he's pretty much solidly there. Uh, he he's one spot ahead of Chad Reed, who he he's been uh, consistently uh, placing ahead of, and he's uh, sure. far far di- adrift from uh, um, 
from DB Millsap. So that's probably where he'll end up for the season. But the thing is, is that like that's just that's a still a top ten guy. And like if honestly, in, in, until I saw that on my uh, on my Instagram feed, I did not know who was in eighth place in the points for the 450 sure. class just off the top of my head, and that is a problem because. I, I like I, I, for a talented rider like Brock. I like. I feel like maybe there's a a better better spot for him. I think that sometimes moving guys out of that 250 class is a bit um, just. It's it's a bit foolhardy, and I think that we we, we mismanage our talent that way. Um, I don't know if the full answer is just to open up both classes and say you can ride whatever you want, whenever you want, go for it, man. Um, and uh, but like I I think that there's there there needs to be a change from what we're currently doing. Yeah, I think that that could be a good option. I know there's been talk about opening up, you know, the lights class to just one coast. 451 coast and 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 then just let the guys race whatever. There's certainly yeah. be a lot of action happening in stacked stacked racing. For sure. And and now and like for for guys that right now are making a living off of fifth place finishes in the 250 class, uh the reality of that sets in when we watch these guys and now that that 10th that 5 fifth place finisher is now a 10th place finisher and it actually like um kind of allows us to really see what's going on there as far as uh, where the talent pool really is because uh, you can get yourself a ton of podiums on on a certain coast but uh, if if in reality that only makes you the ninth best uh, guy on a 250 um, like that though that like that's a big difference right like we're, we're talking uh, like from a perception wise that's uh, that's a huge that's a huge uh, gap. That's almost factory to a privateer ride. Yeah, um, totally. In in some cases, yeah. So it's very, very significant. It can hurt guys. It can it can help guys at times. Oh, absolutely. And I, I find that uh, now moving guys out of the 250 class, maybe before they're ready, before their bodies have developed, or maybe before their skills have developed on the big bike, uh, can really hurt their careers, especially if there's bad timing as far as. What, where the contracts are available, like you have a, uh, sure. no, numerous times, we've seen uh, guys graduate from the Geico team that either A, they're still under contract, or B, they have got nowhere to go, and they either have to go full privateer, or Geico has to scrounge some money together to put together a racing program uh, for one more year with, with these guys on a 450, which is not something they're, they're, they're comfortable with doing. It's not something they're, they're meant to do. So uh, in, in, in all respects, it's not a really good fit. Um, so uh, and it's just seems unfortunate that uh like that first year is such a a formidable year for you to yeah when you 450 yeah, it, it doesn't go well yeah when you see when you've seen a guy who's won a championship in lights class not have a ride the following year you know something's wrong yeah like malcolm stewart this year like it just like i don't know if that's part uh a few different teams not wanting to deal with the stewarts um but for the most part like you just like I, I question why a guy who was leading that series and, and eventually won it and and was quite quite handedly won it by my dad um, that uh, that that he wouldn't have uh, a position. And I think if he if he had been offered a position in September and got to test all all winter long and was in training, he we wouldn't be seeing these late race crashes and fades that we're currently seeing because frankly he just wasn't ready as of January one. He wasn't. It, still, it, it still is a bit now. hard. To, it, yeah, it's a it's a bit hard to fathom, and I think that's something that sports are going to have to work through. 
For sure. And, and then on top of that, because of his poor performances throughout the season, how does that, where, where, what's, what's his bargaining going into, into next year? Does he have better bargaining as a, uh, outside the top 12 450 rider or a four or, or a, a, a one year removed from a 250 championship? That's a good question. And, uh, you know, you'd like to think that the industry could see that. And, and understand that, hey, maybe he got a late start. Hey, we obviously know he wasn't fully ready coming in this series, but we know what he's capable of. But sometimes I don't think they can. And there's the saying, you're only as good as your last race. Unfortunately, I think people believe that. Oh, I, I totally agree. I think there's a lot of teams that, uh, yeah, they, they, they look at the results and like, I don't know, Stu, uh, or, uh, Malcolm, you, you got, uh, you got some 15th in here. You got some crashes. You, uh, I don't it's think a bit short sighted. Yeah, totally. But it's just that that's what they were looking at. And, and, uh, um, they're looking at, at what they're going to be looking forward to in the following season. If, if they're, if they're looking at, if like, oh, if we're going to get more of the same, then we can only offer you this. It, it, it is, it is a bit short sighted and definitely a frustration, I'd say, for a bulk of the riders. I mean, I think that at some point every rider will feel that sort of frustration, uh, in his career. Oh, for sure, and I, I think you, you've definitely been one of them in the past. Um, like, I don't know, off air, we had mentioned a, a potential solution to the 250 problem. As these guys, if they're not ready for the 450 class, both physically and speed-wise, that uh, uh, one of these uh, teams over in in uh, North America find a uh, an alternate series and uh, or uh, kind of amalgamate with a uh, an MXG team to uh, get these guys some time on a full bore 450 and uh, and and ship them overseas for a year. Yeah, it certainly would be an get with some guys better than better than others, and and both going to the class a year too soon and going or going to Europe, both of those options are going to present certain challenges. Regardless, you know, you're not going to be able to avoid a certain amount of these challenges. But it would keep your name a little more relevant, and you'd have more more leverage when you go to the table to negotiate a deal. And your name just it just wouldn't be shuffled back so quickly. So it is a good option, probably something I would have looked into as well. Oh, for sure. I, I think that that's uh, um, maybe something that needs to be explored more in the future, uh, especially getting these guys. Uh, um, comfortable on a 450 uh, outdoors and is something that like like we're all more comfortable and more uh, I think most of us anyway are more comfortable outdoors and and, uh, and adjusting to a motorcycle it's what we've done since day one I know that there's kids that get on supercross super young but I think that still the majority of the riding we're ever doing is on uh, is, is is outdoors so I think there's some serious riders like say like a Justin Bogle who really shines in uh, in in outdoor uh, riding where you he can be fluid. He can he can uh, use those GP tracks to to flow with the track, and, and he's a great sand rider. I think that would be a huge uh, advantage for him to go over there, get used to a 450, then come back over and uh, and basically uh, start his career uh, as a 450 um, uh, rider in Supercross. Uh, maybe one or two years after having some experience on a 450. Yeah, I think I think what it boils down to is there's just not a lot of patience for the no, first never. year guys for the for, for the freshmen there's not a lot of i mean with, with with the teams and the industry for these guys you know you're expected to win right away as a as a guy coming out of the amateur ranks and if you don't you you might lose a ride 
Um, and if you don't do well and you don't shine in the 450 class your first year, even though you were a championship lights guy, um, you probably are going to lose your ride. As we've, as we've talked about, these, these lights teams that are housing 450 guys, it's really not their responsibility to, to carry that weight when they don't have the budget for it, they don't have the preparation for it. And so not a lot of patience for these riders. And, and we've heard it time and time again that riders are replaceable. That's a sad truth. But it's something that but that we've seen. For sure. And I think that there's a lot of times when uh, when teams see themselves not as uh, as much as uh, developers, but uh, I was like, well, all right, we've given you all the tools. You're supposed to come ready to rip. Like, sure. You know what I mean? Like this, this, these are this, like the the bike, the the tires, the suspension, the everything is all put in place for you. We've even uh, signed you up for uh, for a trainer. Uh, we expect you to show up on uh, on su- Sundays or Saturdays rather, and uh, and twist the throttle like nobody has before. So if that doesn't happen, um, we need to find somebody else that can. Yeah, and and that works for some guys, not so much for others. Um, some guys take a while to. To get to where they need to be in six years, it seems, before they can win a championship. But you know what? They won a championship. And so, come out the first and second year and pull a championship off. Um, and, and so they can, they're, they're a little, those guys are a little bit better off. They don't take quite as much time. But in recent years. Well, it's, uh, it's definitely a, a topic that we'll have a lot more discussion and most likely a few different more rule changes over the years. Um, I, for one, uh, would just, I want to see the uh, most talented guys out there every single Saturday night and, uh, whatever allows that to, to be the case, I think we should continue doing that. Um, Blake Wharton, uh, before I let you go on this beautiful Wednesday evening, uh, is there anything else that, uh, you've got on your plate coming up that you want people to, uh, uh, be, be cognitive of or you want them to pay attention to you or, uh, um, anything you want to give a, a, a shameless plug to? Oh, well, no, it's, uh, I've always got something on the rise. And so just keep an eye out on my social media accounts if you're curious and, uh, otherwise we'll keep in touch. Awesome, man. Well, always a pleasure to have you on the podcast, as always. Uh, if you haven't already followed uh, Blake Wharton on all things social media, go ahead and do so. Blake Wharton, always a good time, my friend. Don't hang up just yet, but for podcast sake, we'll cut it off right there.